0: Welcome to Next Gen Sunday. Uh, Yes, absolutely. In fact, uh, I'd also like to just say welcome to everybody who's watching on the live stream or listening to our podcast. Thank you guys so much for coming and tuning in. Uh, My name is Kento Mori. I'm the Next Gen pastor here at First Church, and I'm just so absolutely honored to be here with you guys. In fact, uh, I know we already did, but let's put our hands together one more time for every kid and every young person who made today possible. Yes. So we've had youth-ran Sundays in the past uh, where the youth group would run a Sunday service, but today is Next Gen Sunday, which means not just the youth group, but also the kids program as well. So we're just so excited for the very first Next Gen Sunday. just to jump right into things, if you would stand with me in honor of the word of God, I'm going to be reading from 1 Samuel 17:48 through 51. And it says, and it came to pass when the Philistine arose and uh, came and drew nigh to meet David. And David was hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slung it and smote the Philistine in the forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine and slang with and, and with sling and with a stone, and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David, therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine, and took his sword, and drew it from its sheath thereof, and slew him. And he cut off his head therewith, and when the Philistines saw their champion dead, they fled. All right, you can be seated, thank you so much. And if you would just pray with me for the service in the name of Jesus, thank you, God, for everything that you've already done. And I worship you in the name of Jesus for what you're bound to do. I'm asking you, God, that in this moment, your name be glorified, your church edified, and the devil terrified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I think it's only appropriate for me to say happy Memorial Day weekend as well. Uh, I give honor to everybody who's paid the ultimate price and for everybody who served in order to preserve our freedoms. You see, my grandfather on my mother's side was a paratrooper for the American army during World War II. And I found out later that my grandfather from my father's side had signed up for the Japanese military as well during that time. So uh, you could say that I'm a product of deep conflict. It's like if Romeo and Juliet had a child, that's me. Uh, We're just all happy that they never met, right? We're good. Uh, Tomorrow is our Memorial Day. It's a day of remembering. And today I want to speak about a biblical Memorial Day, a day where God said, remember this day. Now, this is not the first time I spoke this message, at least not today. Uh, I I spoke it uh, a few months back at a youth service. So if you've heard this already, let's just pretend like this is the first time. In fact, for everybody who's a part of the 915, let's just pretend like it's the first time. And uh, for any young person who feels like they've never heard this message, we know exactly what we'll be speaking about next youth service, right? Paying attention. All right. When God tells us to remember something, it's so crucial for us to actually remember this thing. You see, there are multiple times throughout the scripture, and, and a lot of times it happened with the children of Israel, when God tells them, remember this moment and pass it down from one generation onto the next one. Why? Because he's trying to teach us something in that moment, something in that scripture. And so when we hear, remember this, our ears should begin to perk up and say, what is God trying to tell us right here? So in Exodus 12, 14 through 15, it says, and this day shall be a memorial unto you, and you shall keep it A feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast in ordinance forever. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And even in the first day you shall put away the leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. Sounds pretty crazy. Sounds a little deep. Sounds a little too much. But hey, if God said it, then it must be so. And so a little bit of background for this specific verse and what this verse is trying to tell us. This is taking place during uh, the time of Egypt when Israel was in Egypt, when Israelites were living in the land of Egypt. So for exactly 430 years, in fact, for 430 years, the Israelites had been living in Egypt. And at the end of the 430 years, God sent a man named Moses in order to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt. Okay? Now, The reason why he had to bring them out of Egypt is because they had become slaves in Egypt. And it's incredible, the Bible is very specific. They were in Egypt for exactly 430 years, which means they left on the same exact day that they entered Egypt, 430 years previously. And interestingly enough, when Joseph brought his family and his father, whose name is Israel, into Egypt 430 years previously, they came in as royalty, They came in with Egyptians telling them, hey, we're going to give you the best property, the best land, the best Egypt has to offer. Here's food, here's here's provision, here's everything that we can possibly give you. They gave it to them. But throughout the years and centuries of staying in Egypt, they had become slaves to Egypt. You see, this is not an overnight occurrence. This didn't just switch It happened. It was a process. It took time to turn from royalty into slavery. You see, it's kind of like boiling a frog, a live frog, right? You can't just take a live frog and toss it into water. It'll jump right out. What you do is you take a live frog, you put it into cold water, and then you slowly turn up the heat. The frog doesn't even realize it's getting that much hotter until it's dead, boiled alive. That's exactly what happened to the Israelites, and this is a picture-perfect strategy of sin. This is what happens with sin in our lives. What happens is sin will welcome you in with welcome arms, loving arms, and give you the best it has to offer. But slowly and surely, you find yourselves chained down, bondaged into the shackles of sin to the point where you're dependent on sin. What once welcomed you in, now you need you're emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually dependent on something now. Something other than God. Now, Israel has become slaves to Egypt, and God prepares a way. He prepares a man to take them out of Egypt, a man named Moses. And so Moses goes before the pharaoh of Egypt to tell, them, to tell him to let my people go. Now, as any sane individual... The Pharaoh kindly declined his offer to let go of all the free labor that he already had. And so what does God do? He, he shows signs. He, he gives them wonders and what's known as the plagues. He gives them nine different plagues to show the Pharaoh that he's not joking around, that he, he means what he's saying. And the Pharaoh kindly declines the offer still. And so now we find ourselves at the instructions from God. You see, for the nine previous plagues, the Israelites, the children of Israel, didn't have to do anything. They just sat back and watched God move. But now God's commanding them with instructions how to get out of Egypt. And so in Hebrew, there's a word. It's called Shema. It means to hear or to listen. Now, uh, it's so interesting, this Hebrew language, uh, you'll hear it uh, when people start talking about it. A specific word can have multiple meanings, and it's not just nouns and nouns. You can go noun, verb, adjective, all in one single word. And the reason is because there are only 33,000 words in the Hebrew language. And when you compare it to English, English has 470,000 words, over 10 times more words than the Hebrew language, which makes sense when you interpret them. They have multiple meanings. But this word Shema, which means to hear, it doesn't simply mean to hear or to listen. It also means to obey, which means in Hebrew, you cannot listen until you obey. You can't say you heard until you respond and react. In fact, every single parent in this room should say, amen, sign me up for Hebrew school because my kids tell me all the time, I heard you. They just don't do anything about it, right? But now let's get into the instructions from God. See, God was saying, hey, I'm about to pass over the land of Egypt in this 10th plague. And when I do, I'm going to take every single firstborn son of every single household that is not covered by the blood. I'm going to kill them. And so the instructions were very specific. You were to take a one-year-old lamb, slay it, take the blood, and cover the doorposts of that house. You see, the blood of a spotless lamb symbolized the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus, who is our spotless lamb, whose blood covers the sin of those who walk in the light. You see, the first Passover was symbolic of the judgment of God. Egypt was a sin-filled land, which means it doesn't matter if you were born a Jew or born Egyptian. Everybody in Egypt was deserving of judgment. And so God was saying, if you don't do this, my judgment, that's what you're going to feel. So God commanded Israel to cover their homes with the blood of a spotless lamb. And when the spirit of God passed over Egypt, those who were covered by the blood would be spared. This is so symbolic for all of us. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we all deserve the judgment of God. But God has given us the instructions on how to step into the mercies of God that we may not get what we actually truly deserve. You see, there's coming a day when another Passover is going to take place. When the Spirit of God is going to pass over a sin-filled land. And when that day comes, he's not going to pass over those not covered by the blood. Or he's not going to pass over those covered by the blood. He's going to be looking for those who are covered by the blood. And he's not going to be taking the firstborn. He's only taking those who are secondborn. Born again. Born by spirit and born by water. In fact, if you have yet to be born of water and by spirit, baptized in the name of Jesus and infilled by the spirit of God... Today's a fantastic day for that. Yes, it is. Amen. You see, the Passover, such incredible, incredible symbolism. But there was another half, another half to these instructions that God gave us. And in fact, he told us to remember this. He didn't tell us to remember the Passover. We preach the Passover all the time. We preach the blood of the lamb, but he told us to remember the unleavened bread. You see, the feast of unleavened bread, as I read earlier, is when Israel would get rid of all the leavened bread in their homes. And for seven days, they would refrain from eating it. This was symbolic. Uh, this would symbolize living a clean and separate lifestyle. It meant it, it, might be, it might seem unnecessary, but the symbolic and the prophetic was within this instruction. It was so clear. In, in fact, in 1 Corinthians uh, 5, 7 through 8, Uh, It says purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You see besides getting rid of the leavened bread in Israel they also had the instructions to prepare themselves for the escape. God told them to put on the sandals on your feet, grab a walking stick. Now, this is incredible in and of itself. You see, there are people who are still bound by sin and what God is telling them, bound in slavery. And God's telling these people, prepare yourselves for escape. I know you don't see the way right now, but prepare yourselves. And for everybody who's living in sin, God's saying if you want out of sin, you have to start by preparing your lives for life outside of sin. Preparing yourselves to walk outside of Egypt. In other words, in order to prepare for an escape out of Egypt, they had to first cover their homes with the blood of a spotless lamb, prepare themselves for escape, and then finally remove every piece of leavened Bread or risen bread from their homes. And then and only then would they escape from Egypt. You see, this is specific instructions on how to escape Egypt, how to escape slavery. You can't just take one, you need all of this. You need both the Passover and the unleavened bread. You see, the Passover would loosen the grip of Pharaoh, it loosens the grip of sin, but the unleavened bread prepares you for escape out of sin. Who cares if the grip is loosened? You're still in sin. You need to escape sin through the unleavened bread. You see now I understand that everybody deals with different things. Everybody has personal battles of their own. Whether you're chained down by shackles of sin, still addicted to the same things that you've been addicted to, or you're facing giants in the spirit. I'm finding the instructions are actually one and the same. They're so closely tied. You see, somebody recently pointed out to me that in the Bible, for the giant named Goliath, this giant was actually killed twice. You see, my whole life, I just thought that, hey, David killed Goliath with a stone and then chopped his head off to kind of finish the deal. That's not what the Bible says, though. In 1 Samuel 17, 48 through 51, I'm going to read it again. It says, and it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David. And David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slung it and smote the Philistine in his forehead. That the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. Now listen to this part right here. It says, so David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and with the stone and smote the Philistine and slew him slew him, past tense, for slaying him, which means he killed him. He killed him with a stone. And then it goes on, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him, past tense, for slay him. He killed him again and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. So the question stands How in the world is David able to kill Goliath twice? You see, there are certain giants that we face, certain obstacles that we have to go through that need to die twice before it's over. That which brings forth life must live twice. That which which brings forth death must die twice. Lucifer fell from heaven, and the Bible says he's going to fall again into a lake of fire. Goliath was killed by the stone, and immediately afterwards was killed by the sword. So what does this mean to us? You see, I can't tell you how many times I would come to a Sunday altar call or Monday prayer service, or personal time in prayer, and I'm battling something. I know that I'm fighting something within my spirit, and I'm trying to do everything in my power to pray through it. And then I feel the release in my spirit. I know that I killed something in that prayer meeting. I know I killed something in that altar call. I know it without a shadow of a doubt. But not too much time goes by when I start to face the same exact beast the question is why? You see, I don't know about you, but there's been so many times in my life when I come into a prayer meeting confused. Truly confused in my mind, because I was so convinced in the prayer meeting last week that I already killed depression, I already killed the lust, I already killed the anger in my life. Why in the world is this starting to creep back up into my spirit? God, I thought this was already dead. You see, the stone represents Jesus. In Psalms 18, David says, the Lord is my rock. This stone-killing Goliath was a miracle. Only through the power of God could a small stone topple a giant and slay him. Now the sword represents a lifestyle of discipline. The word of God is like a two-edged blade, and the scripture is used for correction and for training in righteousness, which means you can't just have the power of God in a moment of prayer. You also need to follow up with a lifestyle of discipline. A lifestyle carving out the same things that's been in before. You can't be the same. Something needs to change. Jesus' name, you need both to kill Goliath. You see, you need those moments in prayer. You need these moments in prayer when Jesus sweeps in like a flood and you begin to tap into the spirit of God and that giant that you've been facing is finally slain in that moment. But it's not finished there because you need to kill it again. You need to follow up with a disciplined daily life. You need a cleansing. You need to practice what the Israelites did by cleaning every single area of their life, not just from the sin, but what from the sin has touched That's how disciplined you need to be here. Then and only then, through the sword and through the stone, are giants killed. You see, it's so interesting to see what the Bible tells us to remember versus what we actually remember. You see, in Exodus 34, after the Israelites were free from Israel but still carried the baggage of Israel, they were caught worshiping a false idol. And so... Moses comes down from the mountain in Exodus 34 and 18, and and God tells him, God commanded Israel to celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. It doesn't mention the Passover. He says, remember the unleavened bread. Later in the life of David, after fleeing Saul, the king of Israel, who's trying to kill him, David finds himself at a temple in a place called Nob, speaking to a priest named Ahimelech. And David's asking the priest for help, and he's saying, do you have any food for me? And so the priest goes back and he brings out holy unleavened bread from the table of showbread. And then David asks for a weapon. He says, is there a sword or a spear? Now, I love this because he had no idea what this priest had. First Samuel 21 and 9, it says, And the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, who thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, take it. For there is no other save here than that. And David said, there is none like that. Give it to me. You see, for David, there is no sword like that sword. He remembered it. I I just love to picture David asking for some kind of weapon. And this old priest would bring out this, this sword that's been trapped up for how many years, wrapped up, and immediately David recognized the hilt, immediately. Because there is no sword like that, not for David. What an awesome moment. You see, God will use testimonies as weapons against the next battle in your life. You'll be prepared one giant into the next giant. One moment to the next. One victory will help the following one. You see, we focus so much about what God does. And trust me, I'm not minimizing that at all but we tend to also minimize our response to what God does. We teach about how God miraculously used a stone to slay Goliath, but David remembered the sword that killed him. We teach about the blood of the lamb that covers our sin, but God told Israel, remember the unleavened bread. Remember your response to Goliath, and remember your response to the Passover. That's what gets you out of Egypt, and that's what slays giants. Now, I'm not downplaying the stone and I'm not downplaying the Passover, but we need a revelation in the church of what these things actually mean when God says, remember these things. I'm not finished, but if the band could make its way up and the music could make its way up. You see, I wondered to myself, what would it have been like at that first Passover? Out of faith. 600,000 households would dip paintbrushes and branches into that crimson blood and cover the doorposts out of faith. Saying, I have no idea what God's got in store, but I'm going to do this out of faith. And in that evening, the spirit of God passed over Egypt to kill every firstborn son who was not covered by the blood. In the daytime, they would smell blood and fire. And in the nighttime, the wails of agony. What a terrifyingly powerful moment that must have been for Israel. But then, but then, God commands a response with the unleavened bread. You see, before the Israelites, the Bible calls this the feast of unleavened bread. But let's be honest, this is a fast. Before the Israelites went on a week-long feast of unleavened bread, there was a day of preparation and this day was so crucial. This was the first day before the 7. And it was basically a spring cleaning of every single Israelite home. They would start by taking an old, taking out all the old leavened bread and tossing it in the back of the house and setting it on fire. You see, I thought when I heard about unleavened bread, I thought it was just, hey, we're just going to refrain from eating. No, it goes way, way deeper than that. They would take the old bread, burn it in the back. Then they would take every single plate, every single bowl, every silverware, and they would boil it because it's touched leaven before. Then they would take cloths and wipe down all the walls, all the furniture, all the windows, the ceilings, the floors, everything that's ever could have possibly touched sin. They clean those surfaces. And then they would take a lit candle and a feather brush and go through every single crack and every single crevice and every single corner of their homes to make sure there's not a crumb of leavened bread. And then at the end of the day, they would prayer, pray this prayer. They said, blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of Israel, of the universe, who has sanctified us with thy commandments and commanded us to remove the leaven. All kinds of leaven that are in my possession that I have not observed nor removed shall be null and counted as dust of the earth. You see, this, I love this so much because they were so thorough. They were so thorough. The fact is, you will never be able to remove every bit of sin never but the israelites they 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 grabbed the smallest pieces that their eyes could see removed that leaven and said for everything that i'm missing right now for everything that i that i that i didn't see and that my eyes can't see god i'm asking you to call it dust of the earth so the question is when does a crumb turn into a dust For the Israelites, there was no compromise. They removed everything that even came close and said, God, I'm asking you to cover the rest that I missed. This is so significant to the mindset that God's calling us to. The perspective of sin in our lives. So significant. You see, there are things that lead us into sin. Things that have been touched by sin. It might not be sin, but has it touched sin? And through this Feast of Unleavened Bread, God is showing us that it's not good enough to just tiptoe around sin, but to get rid of everything that is and everything that's been touched and everything that could have been touched by sin. Clean it all. To look at every single thought, every single thing that I watch, every single thing that we listen to, every single motive in my heart, every single desire that I might have, and saying, God, I'm willing to change it all. If it's ever been touched by sin, cleanse it. And if it is sin, my God, I'm going to remove it. And for everything I missed, I'm asking you in Jesus' name to call it as dust of the earth. You see, this is not a Sunday morning message. This is a Monday morning message. This is something besides today. This is when life changes on a Sunday morning and you need to change your life on a Monday morning. If you do not have a disciplined walk with God and a prayer life to carry, you do not have the sword to slay a giant. If you're still compromising on how much sin you can actually get away with, you have yet to celebrate the unleavened bread. And because of that, you are going to stay in Egypt. You see, God did not come to earth to make our lives better he came to earth and died for our sin so that we could have a completely different life he's not looking for better he's looking for new Jesus name but those things these things I'm talking about they come through a burden of consecration and a desire for conviction if you're not chasing conviction then you have no idea what these Israelites were talking about when they cleaned their lives the way they did. They were looking for their sin. They were looking for the leaven. If I could have everybody stand with me. You see, I'm sure, I'm sure that there were Israelites who sacrificed a spotless lamb on that first Passover, but who didn't participate in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They experienced the power and the might of God, but didn't follow through with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, thinking that the Passover and the Spirit of God was good enough to take them out of Egypt, unwilling to respond by cleansing their own homes. And because of that, they were not only cut off from Israel, they stayed in Egypt as slaves. Far too often, the church emphasizes on the powerful moments in the presence of God, and I'm not downplaying those at all, but we need to think about our response here. We can't cultivate a spirit and an atmosphere for God to move in and, and not be willing to cleanse our lives, minds, and homes from every crumb of sin that we can find. This is not simply removing sin, but cleansing everything that's ever touched sin. How many times do we come to church impacted by a powerful presence in the Holy Ghost, but we never take the next step out of Egypt? Too many people experience the Passover, but will stay as slaves and sin because they don't cleanse their lives. They don't cleanse their lifestyles. You use church as a crutch to carry you on a week-to-week basis. God's saying, I'm giving you something so you can carry on with you. I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired. of coming to church, bawling my eyes out in the altar calls. Knowing inside of my spirit that I've killed something this day. And waking up, still facing the same giants. I'm sick and tired of it. We've acknowledged the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, experienced the power of the blood of God, but are confused on why giants still stand tall. I'd like to invite everybody to these altars. And we're gonna pray. Not simply for an experience, Trust me, we can, we can muster the Spirit of God and manifest itself here. But we're looking for a life change. We don't want the first step. We want the second act. This is a message for those sick and tired of Egypt, wondering why I'm still found when I felt a breakthrough last week. In the name of Jesus, let's pray. Let's usher in the presence of God that giants may fall and then seek the disciplines that it takes and the convictions that it takes to slay them again. As we pray, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you, God, and move in this house. Give us the boldness, give, give us the strength, and the determination it takes to change my life on a Monday.